<laughs> Whoa. Is that me? Well, it's good to be here. We've been here. Can I move this away? Yeah, okay, we're on. Uh, it's great to be here. Man, that was just fantastic singing. Wasn't that great, folks? I mean, that was excellent. But uh, young people, please, boy, focus on this, what you just sang. The Word of God. I, we're, we're in a crisis in our, in our nation. And honestly, it's uh, because our churches have gotten weak. And what has happened is that we got a lot of people sitting in pews, but I don't know that they're really following the Word of God. And I think a big part of it is they don't know it. Just don't know the Word of God. And it really is a, a great, great, uh, just a great song. But y'all did a beautiful job, and I appreciate it. Thank you for having us out here. Uh, I'm going to make you a promise. Uh, I don't know what time you get out, but I'll be earlier. So uh, uh, I, won't, I won't be long for two reasons. One, we've traveled all day. We had to get up about 4 this morning, 4.30 or something like that and uh, to get here. The second, second reason is because it's already like uh, my bedtime. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's 9.16 back at home. My wife always says, she says, Rob, would you forget about that? You always say, you know, what time it is at home. I'm not forgetting anything. Uh, my body knows exactly what time it is. And so this is the, uh, if I go to sleep, then you have permission to also. But uh, I'm glad. It, it's, uh, how many of you have ever heard uh, me preach before? You been there before? Okay. I think, we're, I think we're here about three years ago or four years ago, something like that, and, uh, and preached, I think, on a Wednesday night. Maybe, I don't know. I, I lose so track of the track of time. I've got a message tonight that... Uh, Honestly, is 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 coming because of this week, um, this being Father's Day coming up. I, um, it's on my heart to reach back about forty years, and so the uh, the end of this, uh, the the main part of the message, I've really never preached. The illustration is is something that I I preached for the first time and used this illustration forty years ago. And so I'm reaching back to that. And, and if you know me very well, which most of you don't, but if you know me very well, that I, I end up telling a lot of stories anyway. So uh, this is going to be kind of a message and an illustration, and, and hopefully it'll, it'll do something for your heart. I want you to go to Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 3. Ezekiel chapter 3, I'm going to pick up at verse 16. Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 16. We don't travel that much anymore. Uh, just, I don't like to say yes. But uh, for one of my sailor boys, I would say yes. So uh, uh, John asked us some time ago if we would come. And I said yes to that and thrilled to be with them again. And with some of you all going to be spending the next few days at some place around here. I have no idea. All I know is it's a lot cooler here than it is at home. Uh, I left and it was, uh, it's for about the next 10 days it's showing it's going to be somewhere about 96, 98 degrees. And the, uh, what they call the real feel temperature, one day is uh, 110. And so uh, this is very nice. Uh, It's kind of a lot much more cool. Ezekiel chapter 3 verse 16, it says, It came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, 
Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speaketh to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Yet if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Again, when a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die, because thou, have not, because thou hast not given him warning. He shall die in his sin, and his righteousness which he hath done shall not be remembered, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the righteous man that, that the righteous sin not, and he doth not sin, he shall surely live, because he is warned. Also thou hast delivered thy soul. Father, I ask you to bless here tonight. And Father, I do ask you to give me strength of body and clarity of mind, Lord. I pray that you would just fill me with your spirit, Lord, you promised. You said, how much more shall the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? And Father, I'm asking you for a fresh anointing for this service right now. And Lord, I know that you brought us here for a purpose and so Lord I pray that you'd guide me and direct me and help me to say only that it might be a help and a benefit and an encouragement to someone and so Father I ask you to put a hedge of protection around us that you'd wrap your arms around us and keep us safe here tonight thank you for the good health that you've given to those that are here and they're able to be here and then Lord I pray please that you turn back every evil that would try to interfere with what we do here please in Jesus name Amen. You know, uh, as I reached back to this verse, and it's not something I've preached very much, and it, but the very first time I preached this, uh, this passage, like I said, was 40 years ago. But as I was contemplating it this week, the real question that was in my heart is, why do we do what we do? Why did I leave my home and my family in 1982? On a Sunday night, I was, um, I'd been a police officer for about three years. I was in turmoil, didn't know what God was doing. We, I was a youth director at a little church there in Tennessee, and, but uh, working as a police officer. And, but God just started working in my heart. But I'll be honest with you, I didn't, I didn't really understand it was God. All I knew is I was miserable, just absolutely miserable. And so... I thought, well, it's, you know, I just need to, I need to get into something that's making more money. So uh, I went into a business and, and, uh, and uh, hired on just stocking some shelves and got a management training thing. And it was going to take me about three years to be what they called an assistant level one. And, and uh, 13 months later, I was the operations manager of the, the, what they called the superstore. There was no such thing at the time. They was the first one in the nation that they called the superstore. And I was, had about 125 employees. And, and I had gotten my fifth raise in 13 months. And I walked home one day and I said to my wife, it's not the money. I'm still miserable. And what it was, God was working on me. And just a few weeks later, I was in a church service and just probably went 40, 50 people there. 
And uh, the preacher was preaching, and, and at the end of the service, I walked forward, and all I could do is look at him and say, God's called me to go to school. And he said, where are you going to go? I said, I don't even know what it means. Because I had a degree, I had a degree from Memphis State, is what they call back then, it's from the University of Memphis now, and I had a degree in criminal justice. And I said, why would God want me to go to school? I don't understand. And he said, God said, he wants you to go to Bible college. And I said, what's Bible college? I didn't know what it was. And he looked, looked at me and they gave me a recommendation a couple of different places. And believe it or not, that was Sunday night, Monday morning. I went in and I resigned my job that morning. I, got, I, I just looked at him and said, I've got to go. And they said, how quickly are you going to go? And, and there was a long story in that. They were actually very good to me. The, the president of the company, actually, I went all the way to the president of the company, and he actually looked at me when I told him what I was called to do, pushed back from his desk and said, son, why didn't you tell me? And he called back all the way down the, the corporate system down there and told them to help me in any way that I needed. Uh, it turned out he was a Christian. I found out that uh, some years later he went into the ministry. But the fact is, is that, that uh, I, I resigned that morning and called both those schools. And one of the schools told me, don't, don't even try. You know, this is the last week of late registration, January of 1982. You can't get here. You got to get here by Friday. You can't move your family. You can't do all of that and get here. So you got to wait till next semester. And I said, if I wait till next semester, I'm not going. I just knew me. I, you know, I got to do it now. And so he, I, uh, I uh, called the other school, which was Howells Anderson College, and I got uh, Phil Sally on the phone. And uh, Phil Sally, he, he, I told him my story, and he, I said, what should I do? He said, well, son, sounds like you better hurry. And, uh, and I did. I hurried. And we left Thursday night about midnight in a little bit of trailer. We had a four-bedroom home and brought it down to a little 12-foot trailer and took off with two little children. Why did I do that? Why would we resign in a week and the same week take off to a place we'd never seen before? There has to be a purpose in life. There has to be a, a reason for our existence. And I'd gotten to a point where I felt like there was no reason for my existence. I was existing until I died. The purpose of the church as I look at it, it's not to be a place to make us feel better because we've performed a ritual. The purpose is not to give us some false assurance that our presence is giving us a better chance at heaven. The purpose is not to create a caste system of spiritual and non-spiritual people. The purpose is not to fulfill a social requirement or give us status in the community. The purpose is found very simply in Acts 2.42, and it says this, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And as far as I'm concerned, that gives you the foundation of the church. That gives you the purpose of the church. That we're, we're, and, and I'm going to do this all very quickly, but to, number one is to teach doctrine. It was doctrine. It's the, I, you know, I preached when I went to Bible college. I did not know what the word doctrine meant. I went to a class and they were talking about some of the guys were talking about next semester I'm going to take Bible doctrines. And I thought, wow, that sounds spooky. I said, what is Bible doctrines? I mean, 
And I'll be honest with you, I was, I was so green, I didn't even know, know the books of the Bible. And they said Bible doctrines, and then, you know, come to find out it's just a teaching. It's the teachings of the Bible. You know, the truth is, it, the, Bible, the church is here to teach biblical truth. It's not here so to make us feel better for some reason. It's, it's here so that we'll learn how to live for God. And you know why? Well, it, 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 the truth is, I used to tell all the sailors in John, probably remember this, I would preach to them, they get saved, and I'd say, God didn't just give you eternal life. If you live by this book, he'll give you a life worth living right now. The problem is most don't do it. Number two is to place, it's a place of fellowship. I love Hebrews 10, 25, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know, that's, we're supposed to gather together so much the more so we can exhort each other so much the more. I tell our people all the time, somebody ought to be encouraged before they leave here because of you. And folks, somebody, and you know what? You can encourage me right now. Look happy. I tell my folks all the time, I say, you know, I'm just going to go through here and I'm going to make every one of you come up here and stand and preach one time. And look at me looking at you. But folks, the fact is, is we ought to encourage each other before we leave. You ought to feel better that you were here. Because somebody encouraged you and you encouraged somebody else. And I'll be honest with you, it's a lot more fun to encourage somebody else than it is to be encouraged. And I love that part of that encouragement is eating meals. He says, and breaking of bread, amen. And I know we talk about the, the Lord's Supper, but it was, they ate meals together. And, and I love, I came here, it's, I don't remember how many years ago you had a men's meeting. Big, big men's meeting. And, and uh, man, they came and slapped down a big old steak in front of me. How come you don't ask me back? Man, <laughs> it, was, it was really, really good. The scripture, what it says, is supposed to be a place of prayer. And I'll be honest with you, folks, if there's something that's lacking in our churches, it's prayer. There's been several things over my ministry where I say that's kind of a watershed, a life-changing thing. But one of the things was when I just decided there would be a time in my life every day where I'd just shut everything down and go talk to God. No matter what else was going on. You know, our, our families would be different if our children, if our spouse knew that we could get a hold to God. You know, I love to, today when, when, I hate that when my kids go through something, but I love it when they write daddy. They called me and asked me to pray. It makes me feel like they believe in the prayers. But the fourth thing is found in Acts 5.42. In Acts 5.42, it says, And daily in the temple in every house they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Now, here's the purpose. This is all sort of foundational, and here's the purpose, and it's very simple, but 
Each of these four points builds upon the other. But only one has to be done in earth. It can't be done in heaven. You see, in heaven, I believe that we will continue to learn truths, Bible doctrines. We will continue to learn the truth. Not only will we learn the truths, we'll find that we learned them right this time. Because I got a feeling there's some of them that we're not right about, but we think we are, and we're trying real hard. But but I, we're going to get to heaven. We're going to be taught. I believe in heaven that we're going to sup together. There's going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb. I mean, we're going to have fellowship in heaven. I believe that. I believe through Scripture that God teaches that we'll have fellowship. We'll have fellowship with God. In heaven, we'll. Praise and worship our God forever. Now, now listen to me, folks. And here's the misconception, and, and, and there's a generation that's gotten off on this. God uh, didn't leave me here. And forgive me, now give me a second there. God didn't leave me here to praise him. While he left me here, I have the opportunity and I should praise him. But I don't believe he left me here to praise him. God, God didn't leave me here uh, so that I could learn, go deeper in the word of God and learn all the word of God. God didn't leave me here for that. Now, while I'm here, I need to learn all I can about the word of God. But he didn't leave me here for that. God didn't leave me here to fellowship. Now, while I'm here, I want to have great fellowship with, with Brett. I hope to get to, to know some this week as we go to this camp. I think we can have some great fellowship, but God didn't leave me. Here's my reasoning. Why would he leave me here to do it? If he brought me to heaven, I could do all of those so much better there. Do you understand? I'll learn so much more there. I'll fellowship in such an incredible way there. I'll be able to praise and worship God there. And if that was the only reason I'm here, then why this moment I got up off my knees in November the 8th, 1975, why didn't God just take me to heaven? He left me here for a reason. He left me here for a purpose. You see, in heaven, there will never be the need for the gospel to be given again. And I know you're you're thinking that I'm headed toward just, okay, we got one more message, John. We need to do a witness. It was up there when I came up. But this is a particular direction that I'm going You see, the scripture says, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. It's not later. It's not in heaven today. Now, right here. That means presently while we live, this is the day of salvation. In eternity is not the day of salvation. We're already saved. This is the day. This is the only day that somebody can get saved while we exist in this lifetime. Colossians 1, 27 and 28 says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, in Christ, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. 
Revelation 20 verse 15 says, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Right now, God left me here and left you here and we have, yes, while we're here, we need to learn. While we're here, we need to encourage and fellowship with each other. While we're here, we need to praise God and we need to, to worship our God. While we're here, we have things that God, God wants us to get closer to him. But while we're here, the one thing that he left us here to do was to reach someone else with the gospel. Now, this is why the text is so important today. Verse 17, if we went back to our text in Ezekiel, verse 17, chapter 3, verse 17 says, Son of man, I've made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speaketh to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at thine hand. As I said, this comes from 40 years ago. 40 years ago, I went to Bible College. Forty years ago, I don't remember who preached. I don't know if it was a guest preacher. I don't know if it was the pastor. I I don't know who it was. But they used this passage of scripture. And I know they were challenging us there, those hundreds of students that were there, to go out and reach the world for Christ. Christ. But the man over and over again said, the blood will be required at your hands. And as he preached, I kept looking at my hands. Because pastor, at the time he preached it, I'd never want a soul to Christ. I'd, I'd influenced the sergeant that trained me we rode together for three weeks, and I, I just, I didn't know how to win somebody. I didn't, I just had no comprehension. I'm in church. I'd gotten saved through a Gideon's Bible. I'd never had anybody teach me, nobody to train me, nobody to, to help me in, but I finally got in church now, and, and I'm riding with this sergeant, and he, he, he was so angry, and he was cussing all the time, and yelling at people, and one day we were driving, uh, and I'm sitting over in the, the passenger side and, and riding, and he just whipped over to the side of the highway to the shoulder, and he looked at me and started cussing at me and yelling at me, and I looked at him and I said, what's the problem? He said, he said I don't understand you. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I've been with you for three weeks He said, you've not said one cuss word. You've not gotten mad at anybody. He said, you're weird, man. And I didn't know how to witness, but I looked at him and I said, well, all I can tell you is that that God did something in me. Because if you'd met me a few years ago, I could cuss better than you cuss. I could get mad quicker than you can get mad. I was a boxer and I'd fight more out of the ring than I fought in the ring. 
And I just looked at him and I said, all I can tell you, I can't explain it, but God has changed my life. It was just a few weeks later that sergeant and his wife sat in our little church and walked down the aisle and trusted Christ as their Savior. That preacher pleaded with us that we would tell others about the gospel. And I kept looking in my hands because I never want anybody. As I prayed that day, I looked down in my hands and I thought of all those I'd failed to tell. But here's what sincerely happened that day. And so I was looking at my hands. I envisioned the blood on my hands. But as I looked at the blood, suddenly it changed to a face. One face appeared in my hands. It wasn't inanimate blood. Of some unknown number of people, it was one face. As I looked at that face, it was the face of the greatest man I'd ever known in my life. It was my dad. My dad was one of the kindest men, but one of the strongest and hardest working men you've ever known. He had four boys, and he worked us on the farm. He hung drywall all day, and he farmed half the night. He never let me, even as a as nearly grown man, he never let me go out the door where he wouldn't say two things. He would say, son, do you have a dollar in your pocket? Because back then a dollar might get you somewhere. And most of the time I'd look and say no because we didn't get paid to work on the farm. We ate to work on the farm. But he would say, do you have a dollar in your pocket? And then he would look at me. And often he would reach in his old wallet and take what the two or three dollars he might have. And he'd come and stick it in my pocket. I'd know he would have nothing. And then he would come up and he'd, even as I was 16, 17, 18 year old young man, he'd walk up and he'd grab me and he'd say, Son, I love you. Be careful. We were lost. All of us were. But he was a good man. He was a hard-working man. He was a loving man. He loved my mama like few men could love a woman. Boy, he loved her. As I looked there in my hands, I, I had tried for the three years I was in church at home to somehow get my daddy to church and two or three times he'd come but he never would come forward he never would get saved 
And I would try to talk to him, and sometimes it went well, and sometimes it didn't. And I, not to give the gospel, but mostly to try to get him to come to church. But I saw his face. And as I began to pray that day, God began to work me in. I can't remember the exact time, but I know it was late March. And I was working a job, and I worked at 2 to 10 on, on Saturday nights. And, and I was catching shoplifters of, to put me, myself through school. And, and I went to the fellas. God just said, you've got to go home. And I went to the fellas on that March 27th, 1982. And I went to the guys I worked with, and I said, look, fellas, I'm supposed to work tomorrow, 2 to, two to 6. And I said, I, I need to go home. They did. I didn't explain why. I didn't say anything. Well, I went. I, I left there. I even left an hour early. I left at about nine o'clock, and I went home. To Joe Beth, told her I had to go home. And I jumped in the car and I drove all night long, five hundred fifty miles, and I got there. And about six o'clock in the morning, as I was walking toward that old country home, I, I I pulled into the driveway, and as I did, my dad was walking out the side door, heading toward the barn to do the barn work, and. He turned and looked at me, and I remember him. I can see him right now as he looked at me, so puzzled. Son, what are you doing here? And I just told him, I said, Dad, I, I, I don't know. I just I felt like I had to come home. That early morning hours, we sat at a breakfast table, and I asked him, I said, Dad, would you, since I'm here, would you go to church with me? And he's, he looked at me and said, yeah, yes, I will. And, and, I, and I, I just knew this is it. Probably a hundred times I'd gone to an altar and prayed and wept and asked God to save my daddy. I went to church that day and I, and I sat beside him. Mom came too and we sat toward the back and I'd heard it before preached as an illustration, but I'd never seen it before. I saw him grab the pew and literally his knuckles start turning white at the end of the service, but he wouldn't go forward and we got through, I came to the altar and prayed. We drove back home and, and, and I was so confused. God, why'd you bring me home? And, and, I, and I got there, I'd been up all night and I, I, before I laid down, I said, Dad, would you go back to church with me tonight? And he said, yeah. He said, son, I will. And, and I, I went and laid down for a couple hours. I came back and I said, Dad, uh, are you going to go? And, and he said, no, I, I'm too tired. I'm not going to go. And I drove all the way back to the church about eight miles. I drove back and I kept saying, God, I don't understand. Why would you bring me home? Why would you do this? It's like tormenting me. And I drove the church, I listened to the pastor, and I, I don't remember anything that was said that night. I came forward. I do remember kneeling and weeping and saying, God, I'm asking you, please help me. I don't understand. I'm tormented by this. I drove home, and as I got home, again, it was a long old country driveway, and, and I got down there, and I, the front door, uh, it was just a storm door, and it's kind of the way they live. I mean, anybody come in whenever they wanted to, and, 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 and I could see through the glass into the kitchen, there at the kitchen table, I could see my dad and my oldest brother. They were sitting uh, there at the table and looking at something, and as I came in, I walked up, my dad just kind of turned, and he said, well, there's Robert. He's supposed to know something about this book. Why don't you ask him? And he had a Bible out. 
Well, I just told you, I didn't even know the books of the Bible. And they started asking me questions, and I, I tried my best. I tried my best to answer the questions. Probably 30 minutes, we, they were asking me things, and I, I was, I said, Lord, I don't know what to say. And finally, I just grabbed the Bible from the table, and I grabbed it, and I shot it, and I looked, held it, and I said, Daddy, all those questions don't matter. There's only one question that matters. Do you know for sure if you die, you go to heaven? You see, they had taught me some verses in those couple months. And I began to recite those verses to my dad. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I started reciting those verses and I looked at him and I said, Daddy, would you trust Jesus? And my dad looked at me and he said, son, I could never make up for all the wrong I've done. And boy, that one, I'd only learned about five verses, but one of them was, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I looked at dad and I said, dad, don't you understand? You can't make up for it. That's why Christ died. A few minutes later, it's like a light went off in his head. And a few minutes later, I was kneeling beside the kitchen table with my mama on one side and me on the other as my daddy prayed and trusted Christ as a Savior. You see, what I'm trying to say, it's been my life's desire. Yes, I want to reach people for Christ. And I want to reach all those sailor boys for Christ. But the most important people that I wanted to reach for Christ. They live with me. I wanted my children to be saved. I wanted my mom and daddy to be saved than they were. I wanted my brothers to get saved. I wanted my aunts and uncles to get saved. Amen. You say, do you care more about them than anybody else? I can't say that, but I can say this. I knew it was vital that I get the gospel to them. I preached a funeral for my aunt. She was right at 90 years of age. And I was able to stand there. There's a letter that she had written before she died. And he said that I only want one person to preach my funeral. That's Robert. And the reason was is because I'd sat down with her about 10 years earlier and won her to Jesus. Amen. Me that we will do so many things, but we let our family die and go to hell. I took as a life first, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. And I've spent so many nights on my knees, and so many mornings at church. I've spent so many times on my, on my knees with tears in my eyes and weeping and saying, God, you've got to save them. Many Sunday mornings now. 
I never dreamed I'd go back to my home city and pastor. I always told my wife, there's no way that I'd go back there. I says, no way I could go back to Memphis, man. I mean, there's no way I could go back and pastor a church in Memphis. I couldn't go back to Memphis till everybody I knew in Memphis was dead. Because they know too much about me. Even after we got there, the first few weeks, I'd get worried about who's going to walk through that door. So many Sundays right now. Until he went to heaven, my daddy walked through the door. My oldest brother John walked through the door with his wife. My next oldest brother Alex walks through the door with his wife. My youngest brother Tracy comes through the door. Jobeth's mama comes through the door. Jobeth's brothers come through the door. I want to win all of Memphis, but I can't let those that God has put in my path is my own flesh and blood that God has brought me into that family. I can't let them go to hell. And we get and they're good things. But I'm going to just tell you and I believe it's very very, very important to God. You know, the church, when it started, I say the church, the, the Old Testament church, it was the family. It was the family. Do we care enough about those we love to weep over them Plead with God for their soul to have the courage to in love. I believe the only reason my dad accepted what I said that night is because the tears were running down my face. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Who in your family is not saved? And so I, you know, we grew up in church. We're all, there's no aunt, there's no uncle, there's no cousins, there's no, there's nobody. And it's possible, that's a wonderful thing. Then if that's the case, then I would say to you, they would do what I did when I was 550 miles away from my family. And over the years, most of them, like I said, most of them had already gotten saved. I called a pastor down there one day, and he said, he actually called me. He said, your brother is having some marital problems. And I, I, I kind of, it hit me, but I got real forward with him. I said, sir, would you please understand that I, he needs marriage counseling, but it's not going to help him for very long because he's lost. Would you go win him to Christ? Would you do the first things first? I give that man credit. He left that afternoon after I talked to him and won my brother to Jesus. What about our family?
Like I said, you may say they're all saved, but what I had to do when I was the distance, there was a big distance back then. But I looked at sailor boys. And many a night as I would be talking to them, I would, before I'd preach to them, I'd say, God, I can't get to my brother. And right now he's not open to what I got to say. But he's somebody's brother. So I'm going to treat him like he's my brother. Who do you have? Father, I ask you to be with us tonight, Lord, I pray. I pray that there's someone here that has a lost loved one. Lord, I know the torment of heart. I remember the nights that I'd wake up. Wake up because I'd be dreaming that I got a phone call that my daddy had died. And he died lost. And I'd be in torment until I woke up enough to know that it was a dream. And Lord, I can remember the night I dreamed that same dream. And then I woke up and said, wait a minute, Lord. He's saved. He's on his way to heaven. The torment was gone. Father, I thank you that there is a heaven. I thank you that my dad is in heaven. I thank you that while he lived, he was one of the greatest supporters I had for the ministry. Always wanted to know how many sailor boys got saved. Lord, I pray that you please bless someone here tonight. I don't know how y'all handled your invitation here. But I'm going to just ask you if God spoke into your heart about someone. Would you take a moment and look at your hands? Is there a face? In your hands. Somehow God changed it from just inanimate blood to a soft face. Is there someone? Would you pray about it? Let's all stand and I. If you might take a few moments and is there somebody that you would pray about tonight? Would you come? They sow in tears shall reap in joy. I still believe it. Do you believe it? That's why I say it's so important, God's word. It's got to believe it in simple faith. What God says is true. I know some of you may think, no, you don't understand. You don't understand my family. You don't understand my parents. Or you don't understand my brothers or sisters or... got to be careful I said but I, I'll just say this the there was a portion of my family that didn't believe in anything that I was doing I thought I was crazy for a long time but we just kept praying and we kept serving and kept staying faithful and now they're saved
let God speak to your heart. Who do you know that you love that needs to come to faith in Christ? Have you tried to share the gospel? Are you trying to share the gospel? God bless you. So good to have each one of you here with us. If that challenged you, say amen. Amen. Uh, I should have said if it convicted us, right? But uh, I was so thankful when my father came to faith in Christ. That's the one thing he wanted to do is have all his relatives trust Christ. And because of that, I grew up with saved aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents because he got to lead the majority of them to faith in Christ. And when I married into Vicky's family, uh, her grandparents, I got to lead to Christ and some of her relatives. Uh, you want to see people you know come to faith in Christ, but especially your relatives. You know, I wouldn't want my wife uh, not to know her grandfather and grandmother went to heaven. And I feel that way about your loved ones. If you've got a loved one and you're trying to win them to Christ, let someone on staff know. We'll, we'll go make a special visit. We'll do our best to talk to them and share the gospel plainly and try to lead them to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to do your part, but we'll help you. We'll equip you. We'll pray with you and uh, go, go in your stead and go with you trying to lead them to Christ. So what a great challenge, and praise the Lord. And I thought for all the teenagers, what a good thing for this Saturday for eight hours to go out sharing the gospel. What a great challenge there, teenagers. God bless you. Let's bow our heads again for a word of prayer. I hope that you will come by and shake hands with the hookers and let them know just how much you enjoyed the message tonight and how it challenged your heart. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time we've had to listen to your word. And what a challenge it was, dear Father. Lord, so many times there's been blood on our hands when we've set beside someone we should have shared the gospel with. We've known someone. We've worked with someone. But Heavenly Father, don't let that be the pattern of our lives. Help us to speak up for Jesus. Help us to share plainly the gospel. Let us Share what you've done in our lives and what you'll do in theirs. Now I pray you'll take this truth and put it deep in our hearts and help us to go very reflective tonight, dear Father, and let it have its will and its way in our life and help us to be better sharers of the gospel because of it. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here tonight.